0: Energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now I didn't tell him to do that, I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. We are all anticipating the snowstorm set to start in a couple of hours, but before we get there, we're going to have high school basketball tonight on DEV. Our coverage is going to begin at 645. It's going to be girls' hoops, Division II play down action between Middlebury and Spalding. So we're on the air until 645, and then we throw it on over to our Brent Curtis. we got plenty to get to today. I was going to talk live with Tom Caron, live at Red Sox Spring Training. TC and I ended up speaking earlier today, so you will hear some of those clips later in the show. But Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio will... Join us live today at 545 now. So we'll talk to Freddie at 545. Kind of got a hodgepodge of stuff for him. A little bit of Celtics, a little bit of Patriots, a little bit of UVM. Uh, we'll hear from TC, and uh, those interviews will soon be available in full on our podcast channel, at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line at 802 802- 585 3026. That's your locally owned Napa store in Waterbury in Morrisville. You can also check us out visually Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account, which is at WDEV Radio Brady.
1: Five, four, three,
0: two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I got to tell you before we get into this, I am being affected by something that I've never experienced before. I have never experienced this feeling before in my life. I think, I am not a doctor, but based on some cursory internet searches and based on talking with people, I think I am suffering from what is called lock jaw. I have never had this before. I'd never even heard of this until recently. I don't know that for a fact, but that's what I think this is. And I got to tell you, it is incredibly uncomfortable. So earlier today, I was eating a bowl of cereal, right? Usually I have toast for breakfast, but today I was eating a bowl of cereal like I was 17 years old. Don't care. Tricks are for kids. Have no shame in it. I was eating a bowl of cereal. And I noticed as I was eating this bowl of cereal that my mouth would not open as far as I wanted it to, right? So, like, I've got the cereal in the spoon. I'm trying to open my mouth to eat the cereal and my mouth will not open as far as it's supposed to. It's like the hinge of my mouth just couldn't work like it's supposed to. So then I was like, "Okay, that's odd." So now I'm trying to open my mouth as far as possible and I noticed that that's kind of painful. And then I noticed that I couldn't really do it. It felt like part of my jaw was stuck and I was like, "All right, well maybe it'll just kind of open up here in a little bit." And it ha- it didn't happen. I ate the cereal but I kind of am more like slurping the cereal at this point because I just can't open my mouth all the way. So I leave for work, and I leave for work at like 10.30 or so, and I get here at like 11. And I think, okay, if I don't talk for the next hour and my jaw just kind of rests, then I should be all right. Well, I had to host the midday news service today all by myself, right? Lee was gone, so I had to host the midday news service all by myself. So now about 11.50... I'm starting to get a little bit nervous. I'm like, uh uh-oh, I've got to talk for a full hour here, and I don't know how it's going to feel to do this because something is affecting my jaw, and I just don't know, like, am I going to be able to talk comfortably or not? So I realized that I can make it through talking. The talking isn't a huge issue. It truly is the trying to open my mouth all the way that comes with eating or drinking. That is the problem. But if you listen to the midday news service today, you notice that at at, uh, 12.45, our friend Troy Kingsbury came in from the Village Grocery. The Village Grocery is where I have the Brady Farkas sub named after me. They've named a sub after me and it's awesome. It's a great honor and I think it's an incredibly delicious sub. So Troy Kingsbury comes in today in studio. He brings me a Brady Farkas sub and I'm so excited. Okay, this thing is awesome, right? It's got all the cold cuts you could want. Turkey, ham, roast beef, lettuce, tomato, American cheese, Russian dressing. It is a thick sub. He gives it to me. We talk on the on the show, and then at 1 o'clock, I go down to eat the sub. Troy leaves. I go down to eat the sub, and, and I start to eat it, and I'm like, I can't eat this. And the reason why is because it's got all the stuff I just told you, plus, obviously, the sub roll. So this is a thick sub my mouth cannot open wide enough to get my jaws around the entirety of the sub. So now I'm a little bit freaked out about what's going on with my jaw. I'm very angry because this is a great sub that I can't enjoy in the way it's meant to be enjoyed. So I started thinking, okay, what am I going to do? All right, I, what am I, how am I going to get around this? So I started kind of trying to nibble at the sub. I was like, all right, what if I just eat the bottom of the sub roll first and just kind of nibble my way up like a mouse with cheese. That doesn't really work. I'm like, well, what if I nibble from the middle? And then I just end up with a face full of tomato and a face full of Russian dressing. I'm like, okay, that's not going to work either. So what I actually had to do was I actually had to separate the sub. The top sub roll and the bottom sub roll are now two separate things. And the top sub roll, I end up with just roast beef and lettuce. And on the bottom sub roll, I end up with the ham turkey and the tomato, and this is how I'm eating. It's almost like I'm eating a, uh, like a, like a breadstick. That's what this is like. I've got a breadstick with toppings on it. So I'm able to eat the sub, but I can't eat it the way that it's meant to be enjoyed. It also took me about 25 minutes to eat it, instead of the usual 10 it would take me to eat a sandwich. So I get through that, but I couldn't have anything else. I'm like, I don't want to crunch chips. I don't want to, I don't want to have anything else. I had a little bit of soup which I was able to just kind of drink more than anything. And still now, I've still got this issue in my jaw. Now, I am able to talk, but I'm not going to lie to you. It is painful, not like a a sharp searing pain. It is discomfort. There's no, when I get home tonight, I probably will not talk for hours. I will be resting my jaw when I get home. And doing the news was a little bit easier because look, I'm not as animated on the news, right? Like you're not getting as amped up doing the news. I'm more just reading things and having serious conversation here. I can get amped up here. I want to kind of let it go. And my jaw just won't necessarily allow me to do that. I don't know if I sound any different to you, but I know I feel differently (laughs) over the course of the show. And again, I don't know exactly what this is. I've heard of Lockjaw recently. I've heard of TMJ. I don't know that I have that stuff. That seems like the most likely thing here. I'm no doctor. I don't want to diagnose myself. But has anyone else ever experienced this before? Does it go away on its own? Will I feel better tomorrow? Should I take some ibuprofen? Do I need one of you to come and punch me in the face to get my jaw back in alignment? I don't know. But this is up there with one of the more irritating quote, injuries I've ever had, right? Like I sprained my ankle and that was debilitating and horrible, but at least I could point to something that happened. I could point to a trauma. This came out of nowhere. Like my mom had frozen shoulder for a while and that came out of nowhere. This came out of nowhere to me today. Just completely random. Nothing happened. I didn't get hit. I didn't sleep on anything wrong. But here we are today. Like here we are. I'm not going to lie to you. It is sensitive, and if I rubbed my hand along my jawline, I could feel like a discernible like, okay, that hurts. So I, I've never had this before. Somebody clue me in. 802-585 3026. Uh, Tex says, "No shame in having cereal, Brady. I'm 35. I eat cereal every day. I do love cereal. Uh, Joe said, or Travis says, "I know you hate rankings, but how about your top five cereals? That I could do. Now, this is going to be in no particular order because I, I'm just thinking of this off the cuff. If I'm eating cereal, Tricks are in there. Lucky Charms are in there. The original Rice Krispie Treats are at the top of the list, probably. That's three. Lucky Charms, Tricks." The original Rice Krispie Treats, <sighs> then we're getting into tougher, Reese's, P- Reese's Puffs, Frosted Flakes, they're up there, Life Cereals, Cinnamon Life especially. So I'll give you my top three are Lucky Charms, Tricks, and the original Rice Krispie Treats with the original Rice Krispie Treats being number one. Four and five, we could have a battle royale to figure out. Phil says, you sound fine, Brady. Thank you, Phil. And Peter says, uh, you sound normal, but hope you feel better ASAP. Maybe you uh, clench and grind your teeth at night and could use a mouth guard while you sleep. Hot tea with honey. I'm going to need something. I think ibuprofen and tea are going to be my first options here. I think ibuprofen and tea are going to be my first options because as soon as I get home, my fiance, I'm sure will be thrilled because I won't be talking all night. Like I like to talk as you can tell. So I won't be talking all night. So that might make her happy. But beyond me, you know, I just, I don't, you know, it, it's definitely irritating. That's for sure. It is the Brady Farkas Show and WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Before we get to Freddie Coleman, who's going to be with us in a couple of minutes, I want to wrap up this kind of disjointedly day-long discussion we've had on UVM basketball. It's been a little disjointed, right? We had the full show on, Tuesday, on a Monday. We had a very 15-minute show yesterday. I just want to put a bow on this. I said on Monday that I didn't think people were as excited as I am about the UVM men's basketball team. And the Catamounts can wrap up the number one seed in the conference tournament tonight against Binghamton. So I said, I don't think all of you are on board like I'm on board. Well, Brendan from Winooski sent a text in. This is kind of just where I want to end this conversation. He says, making the NCAA tournament, question mark, been there, done that. The only paradigm-shifting move for UVM would be able to make the Sweet 16. What is the deep state swing for the fences plan for that? I don't know, but without something audacious, this conversation just gets stale after a while. So, Brendan, I think is where a lot of you are at. We've done this, been there, done that. Okay, We've been the number one seed. We've won a bunch of games in the conference. I'm kind of checked out if we can't win in the tournament. And the reason why I bring this up today is because I feel a little guilty. I feel a little guilty. I feel like maybe I am responsible for some of your attitudes and for some of the comments like this from people that I've gotten. Let me make my position very, very clear. I want UVM men's basketball, to take the next step as a program. The next step in the program is winning a game in the NCAA tournament. And I want this team to be in a consistent position to win a game in the NCAA tournament so that they can accomplish it over and over and over again. The way you put yourself in position is you win non-conference games, right? Big non-conference games. You build a great non-conference resume, you get a 12 or a 13 seed, and you try to win games from there. You don't win games a lot from a 15 or a 16 seed, which is where UVM is headed for this year. So people think UVM can't win in the tournament this year, so they're kind of checked out. And I can kind of get it. I also want more for this program. And ultimately, from a program perspective, if this team wins its league and gets a 15 seed and gets beat by 20 in the first round, I will consider it a disappointment from a program perspective because the program did not take a step forward this year. That is true. If UVM gets a 15 seed and gets railroaded by 20, it will be a program-wide disappointment. But that said, I, and you as a fan, should still be excited about the run that UVM is on. You should still be excited any chance your team has to get to the NCAA tournament. You don't want to settle... I don't want to settle, we both want to see the program grow, but just because you're enjoying it does not mean you are endorsing the program just staying static, okay? that You're allowed to have fun while also still wanting the program to get better and move forward. Just because we don't think that the program is going to win a game in the tournament this year doesn't mean that it's not worth following the team for five months. It doesn't mean that following the team for five months is a complete waste. And the reason why is because of what I said yesterday. Making the NCAA tournament is not a given. I know a lot of you think uh, to given and we'll be here again next year. That's not the case. I saw Albany get to the tournament three years in a row and fall off a cliff. I saw Siena get to the tournament two years in a row, fall off a cliff for a decade. Wichita State, VCU, Butler, all these mid-major darlings that were great, where have they been consistently for the last five or seven years? I get it. You want UVM to take the next step, and so do I. And that step may not happen this year, and that is disappointing but it can still be fun to be a part of the conversation because you're not in the conversation every year. It's not a birthright to be in the conversation every year. Look at those programs. Those programs thought they'd be great forever, and they're not. Have you heard from uh, uh, Florida Gulf Coast much recently after their run? No. Have you heard from LaSalle much after their run? No. St. Peter's after their run last year? No. You you don't get to do this every year. And so just because we think, yes, it's a program-wide disappointment if they can't win a game, you're still allowed to have fun and enjoy it because at some point there's a chance that it ends. So I feel guilty if I've made you believe that this season stinks because they're probably not going to win a game in the tournament. It does stink that they won't. And the program will have had a program-wide kind of stuck in neutral feeling. But for our enjoyment for five months – it's a fun ride to be a part of. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Texter says there are enough multi-million dollar companies in Vermont. There could be some good NIL money to make. We'll see if that can make an impact on Catamount athletics. Interesting thought. Uh, I want to go out to the phone line now and I want to bring on Freddie Coleman, our ESPN radio personality from Freddie and Fitzsimmons. And, uh, uh, you know what, let's cue the music as Freddie's calling in now, guys. Let's cue the uh, the Freddie Coleman return here, please. We haven't gotten to play this in a while because a lot of times Freddie will join us in the 6 o'clock hour or something. So can we do that? Uh, there it is. Here we go. Three, two, one. One of the nicest guys in sports talk radio and one of the smartest.
1: Mac Jones went out there and he looked the part. Had command of the huddle, had command of his teammates. That is something that everybody thought they would see. No one
0: thought they would see it this early. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN's Freddie Coleman on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. All right, Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons with us now. Freddie, how are you?
1: I'm good, my brother. How's everything with you?
0: Things are a a bit of a mixed bag for me right now. Let me start with some great news. Uh, Earlier Uh, today, one of our great sponsors over at the Village Grocery in Waitsfield brought me what they have uh, aptly named the Brady Farkas Sub. So I had a great lunch today. The Brady Farkas Sub, turkey, ham, roast uh, beef, lettuce, uh, tomato, American cheese, Russian dressing. It is a hearty sub. I am curious, uh, if you had a Freddie Coleman sub, what would be on it?
1: It would be turkey... Chicken, provolone, lettuce, tomato, oil and vinegar, and a little balsamic.
0: Would it be heated? Is this a hot sub or a cold sub?
1: Oh, either or. I'm equal opportunity. It can be cold (laughs) or hot. As long as it's food and it's good and it's healthy and hearty, I'm good with whatever it
0: comes out, whether it's hot or warm, hot or cold. Sounds pretty good to me. The the, the negative in this, though, is that it's such a big sandwich, I couldn't eat it in a normal way. I'm experiencing, for the first time in my life, Uh lockjaw. In which, like, Uh the hinge in the back of my mouth doesn't want to open up all the way, so I couldn't eat the sandwich in the way that I'd like to eat it. I actually had to take it in half and eat it, you know, eat it split in half, which was very odd. Have you ever had this phenomenon before?
1: Oh, I've had it happen to me where, you remember the old sandwiches they used to call a dagwood that was piled so high with lettuce and tomato from the old comic strip character? I tried to eat that in one bite one time, and I said, yeah, this is not going to end well. And I had the same sensation at the back of my jaw that you did. So what I've learned in those situations, Brady, if you cut it in fours and eat a piecemeal that way, you <laughs> save your jaw and you save your taste buds.
0: Yeah, I mean seriously, this is this is uh, this, this is uncomfortable here, and you know now I have to talk for three hours straight today. So <laughs> I'm trying to to play my way through it. But hey, let's get to the uh, let's get to the topics at hand here. So. Let me fill you in. I know you've been following, but let me fill it in anyways. So the UVM men's basketball team has taken on Binghamton tonight. And with a win tonight, they can wrap up the America East Conference regular season title. They can wrap up uh-huh. the number one seed in the conference tournament. But by and large, I find that most fans seem largely uninterested in this team. And the refrain is like, hey, we've been there. We've done that. We've seen this team get to the tournament. Now we want them to win in the tournament. And I admit I am guilty of wanting the program to make the, to I want the program to take the next step but it's bumming sure. me out that this that people have basically written off this season because they started out one and five and they're gonna end up with a 15c and therefore they probably won't win the tournament and people have kind of written them off Freddie.
1: Well you know what it happens when you have those kind of expectations and the kind of culture that's been built within that program you get people who think they're inside the program. Or know it's best for the program, what they believe is going to be best for the program. And the reason I say that is you have to understand exactly where you are when it comes to Vermont basketball that you play in a mid-major league that's going to be a one-big league. It is going to be very, very special to make the NCAA tournament out of the one-bid league, no matter if you do it as a great Cinderella run or if you're the champion that won in the regular season. So I think people are trying to make Vermont basketball, I'm not saying you can't make it bigger than it is, they you should not have expectations. But you got to understand your lane. Vermont's not playing in the A10. They're not playing in the Big East. They're playing in the America East Conference, in which more often than not, you might get a 14 seed, 13 seed at best. And if you win one game in the NCAA tournament, that sets the program for at least four or five years because that's a big recruiting tool that you can use so I don't get the whole thing in terms of not being interested in the team would you rather be Vermont basketball or would you rather be Binghamton basketball mm-hmm. which has never been the NCAA tournament so I think you have to understand exactly and put things in perspective what the honesty is about your basketball team and how blessed you should feel and fortunate to be able to feel that you should have a program you can support that has been a consistent champion in the America East
0: Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, that game 7 o'clock tonight at Patrick Jim, and Freddie's with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Let's stick with basketball, but let's move to the Celtics. Celtics have the best record in the NBA right now coming out of the All-Star break. I saw earlier today on ESPN, Stephen A. Smith say that Jason Tatum has the third most pressure in the NBA to win a title. I, I don't do a whole lot of list stuff, so I'm not going to ask you who's ahead of him or behind him. But I am curious, yeah. I hadn't thought much about Jason Tatum having a lot of pressure on him. How much pressure do you think Tatum has to deliver a title? Well, there's always
1: going to be pressure when you're part of that franchise, number one. Number two, when you have the pedigree and the equity that Jason Tatum has been able to build up. And also going back to last year where they had a 2-1 series lead against the Golden State Warriors and couldn't finish the job. And I think a lot of people don't give enough credit to Golden State, what they were able to do, instead of what the Boston Celtics did not do, and that Golden State had a lot to do with it. So there's going to be an enormous amount of pressure on him. For my money, I think the guy that has the most pressure is going to be Nikola Jokic Mm -hmm. of the Denver Nuggets, because for the first time in his NBA life and for the first time in the Nuggets' life, they're not the hunter, Brady. They're going to be the hunted. And I can't wait to see how they handle that, because it's one thing to be on the come-up. But when you're there and people are expecting or believe that you can't be taken down, that means that that person being Nikola Jokic not just being an MVP guy in the regular season can you be an MVP in the playoffs but, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of pressure on Jason Tatum because of where he plays, what he's been able to do, and what happened last year. But I think you can do so many different levels with that word pressure, and you can attach that to him. You can attach that to Giannis in Milwaukee, Jordan Bean in Philadelphia, LeBron James in the Lakers. There are plenty of guys out there that I believe are in that same kind of box when it comes to that. If you don't get it done, everybody's going to wonder what you didn't do to make sure your team could get it done.
0: Jalen Brown said he didn't really enjoy the All-Star game. He called it a glorified layup line. Why do you think the uh, the game, the All Star Game, has devolved into something that's almost unwatchable?
1: That is a really great question, Brady. Because I was thinking about that the other day. Because you used to look forward, not just the All Star Weekend for the games and the festivities before the All Star Game, but you know the All Star Game was going to be really, really competitive, and it was going to be an outstanding game, and guys going to get after it. I think you have so many, so much money out there, and so much power out there with players. That they don't feel the need to go out there and expend themselves, and what if they get injured? What if they get hurt, not able to be there for their teams in the playoffs? They're really just going to dial it back, and it's going to be a glorified layup line. And until the NBA and the players come together and say, "What can we do to make it a little bit more of a competitive nature?", you're going to have 184 to 175 games that we saw this previous All Star game and another previous All Star games. Not trying to diminish what Jason Tatum did. You scored 55 points against air. I'm going to give you <laughs> a lot of credit. But it shouldn't be like that in an all-star game where everybody knows what's going to happen and what's not going to happen, and nobody wants to tune into that nonsense. I don't know if there's any way to fix that for the NBA, but there's got to be a way to make sure the all-star game is going to matter and be a lot better than what we've seen in the last seven to eight years when nobody really cares about it.
0: I mean, the NBA has tried so many things, right? They've, they've gotten rid of the East and West. They've got the captain's things. They've got the draft. They've got new jerseys. All this stuff is great. But the game itself, the actual basketball is the thing that has not gotten better.
1: Yeah, and you know what, this has to come from the players because the voices say, hey, guys, we go out there, play hard, and not to the point where you're playing like it's a playoff game, but let's not make it look like this. Let's at least make the attempt to guard somebody. But who is going to be that voice that's going to have the older players, the younger players pay attention and say, yeah, for one night, why can't we do this because then we got another three four days to rest up before the season kicks off again on Thursday. I don't know who has to be that voice of reason or that voice of leadership, but it has to come from the players. It can't come from Adam Silver, the commissioner. It can't come from the coaches. It can't come from the GM. That has to come from the players, and right now it seems that that's not going to happen in the NBA.
0: Freddie, let's move over to the Patriots, who obviously are in off-season mode. They certainly need help at wide receiver and just in general getting playmakers. Well, Pro Football Focus dropped a possible trade, saying that acquiring team would have to give up a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick. For Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins, if you're the Pats, you've got pick number 14 in the first round. Is that a trade that you would make?
1: I would make that trade, even though I know the Bengals are not going to trade him because that's a bad boy there. He's the perfect Robin to the bad man. That is DeMar Chase with the Cincinnati Bengals. But if that kind of offer is on the table, if you're the Patriots, you have to have in mind that you got to do for your quarterback what Philadelphia did for their quarterback. They trusted and believed in Jalen Hurts, and what did they do? They went out and got A.J. Brown to go with Devontae Smith and those guys, and look what happened with the Philadelphia Eagles. Same thing to Kansas City Chiefs. They were able to tie, kill but they got to get a Juju Smith-Schuster and a Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and look what they were able to do with Patrick Mahomes as more of a point guard. And the same thing with Buffalo with Josh Allen. They went out and got a Stephon Diggs, and look how much Josh Allen has been a better quarterback. If you believe that Mac Jones is your guy, and you bring in Bill O'Brien to make sure that you don't have that mess that happened last year then you got to go and get him somebody on the outside, and that somebody can't come from the draft. And if somebody like T. Higgins is out there, it would be in your best interest to not just say we got to hoard onto these fourth and fifth round picks; those are gold coins. No, more than ever before, you got to make sure your quarterback has a fighting chance that a guy on the outside can threaten defense to make it better for everybody else, even though he's your go-to guy. If you're not going to do that, you think you can outscheme people in modern football? You're going to be nine and eight eight and nine and not a championship team ever again if you continue to believe in that philosophy in new england
0: you know it's being reported that giants quarterback daniel jones is looking for 45 million dollars a year if you're the patriots and you're thinking ahead to mac jones when you hear 45 million dollars a year for daniel jones i got to imagine you're pretty nervous about where this is going to go with your own quarterback
1: Oh, absolutely, because they don't like to pay people. And for 20 years, they didn't have to worry about that with the quarterback, Tom Brady, who always made sure that, all right, I know I'm going to get a lot of money, but make sure there's going to be money available to keep this thing intact with the Patriots. He always had that approach because that was ingrained in him by Bill Belichick checking that Patriot way. But now this is a new kind of deal. This is a new day and age in the, in the NFL where that's going to be the going market for quarterbacks. Actually, When the salary cap is going up to close to two per team, And when all the YouTube TV money comes in from the New Deal Sunday ticket and the Apple TV money and the network money, we could have a salary cap, Brady, in 2024 and 2025 that could be north of $200 per team in the NFL. You can't just say, okay, we're going to keep this. Because everybody has a ceiling and a floor in the NFL when it comes to the salary cap. And if you're not putting that kind of money to to invest in playmakers, then you're going to be. That's why the New York Jets are so hell-bent on trying to get a guy like Derek Carr. Because way, and oh, by the way, they got weapons on the outside, led by Garrett Wilson, wide receiver, and when Brees Hall comes back at running back, they have offensive playmakers. If you look at the Patriots, you got about, well, we got to pay our quarterback a lot of money. If that's going to be your going to be a potential, not St. Mac Jones, potential elite quarterback, but if a guy that's going to keep better and better and better, and you're going to let that get in the way of that, then you know you get what you get if you're doing the Patriots, and you're going to continue to be a step and a step behind everybody else, especially in the loaded AFC.
0: Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Freddie, you are the best. Uh, we will talk in seven days.
1: Always a pleasure, Freddie, and enjoy that sandwich. But make sure you eat it over a <laughs> day by day and not try to eat it in one sitting.
0: Uh, I already ate it in one sitting. <laughs> it was it was, it was, was a little tough to do it, but I ate it. <laughs> so. You get the sandwich,
1: take your time because you got plenty of time to eat it.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I didn't take that time, that's for sure. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio, yeah, the jaw is uh, – It's a bit of a struggle. Great stuff from Freddie, as always, says that uh, UVM fans should be excited about what they see because, again, it's not a given that you get to the tournament every year. Also, Freddie, with great stuff on the Celtics and the Patriots, we're going to dissect all of it on the other side of CBS News here on WDEV. back in. Freddie Farkas, show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEBradio.com Reminder that there is high school basketball playoff action that's coming up about 40 minutes from now. Girls hoops tonight between Middlebury and Spalding. Brenton Curtis on the call there from Spalding High School, so we'll have that for you again at 645. Freddie Coleman was great. That interview has been posted on our podcast channel, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEV Radio. Dot com. We are going, we are cutting up Freddie's interview as we speak, and we're going to react to some of what Freddie said specifically about how much pressure is on Jason Tatum and the idea of the Patriots maybe trading for T Higgins. So we will get to that over the course of the next 40 minutes. But I wanted to get to this first because I just think this is an incredibly interesting talking point now we're going to talk a lot of baseball tomorrow because it's thursday we have buster only on thursday and we're also going to talk a little bit of baseball in the rest of this show too because i did speak to tom karen of ness and our Sox insider who's at spring training so i wanted you to hear some of what tc had to say but when i talk with tc and when i talk with buster i tend to talk about the nuts and bolts of the red sox or about the league as a whole i want to go back to something that red sox manager alex cora said the other day because it's incredibly interesting. And I've been sitting on this for a couple of days, figuring out how I wanted to address it. And I wanna get to it today. So Cora was speaking to the media the other day, and he said, just about baseball in general, that base running in baseball is at its worst that he's ever seen, and I promise we're getting to a bigger discussion here than base running. But listen to Cora talk about that first to set the stage.
2: Now, base uh, base running around the league, around baseball, uh, and you can and you know we can go deep into this later on, but it's at its worst. You know, like uh, guys don't don't get good primary leads, not they don't have good secondaries, they don't see the game before it happens, right? They don't anticipate and uh, that's, that comes from youth baseball, you know, uh, showcases and all that stuff, you know, like you don't play baseball, you just go and hit the ball far, throw it hard and, and just run as far as, as possible on 60 yards. So
0: Cora says that the issues at the major league game are coming from youth baseball. Cora continued on and expanded a little bit more.
2: Game itself, you know, the development of the instincts, It doesn't happen in youth baseball anymore. So, uh, you know, we have to do a better job coaching guys in that sense um, and just try to make sure they understand what we're trying to accomplish as a unit. And um, we've done it before the right way.
0: I think this is a fascinating discussion. 802-585-3026. This discussion is a little bit of a chicken in the egg, right? Cora says Major League Baseball's issues are caused by youth baseball. I see it the other way. To me, Major League Baseball developed these issues and gave them to youth baseball. Cora says youth baseball is the problem. I think Major League Baseball is the problem, right? Major League Baseball, at some point a number of years ago, decided that all they cared about were tools in young players. Right? in young players, Major League Baseball at some point decided, I ca- we care about a player's tools. We care about a player's physical skill set. We care about a player's measurables. Okay, Major League Baseball, when they scout players now, they're looking at a handful of things. They're looking at how fast you can run. They are looking at how hard you can throw and how hard or how far you can hit the ball. Major League Baseball is looking for guys that have these traits. Okay? Major League Baseball assumes we can teach you the ins and outs of the game. We can't teach you to throw ninety-eight. We can't teach you to hit it four hundred and fifty feet. We can't teach you to run a six So Major League Baseball at some point decided We'll find players who have traits, and then we'll try to refine everything as opposed to just finding really good all- around baseball players. That's where I think Cora is wrong. Cora says youth baseball is giving us players that are incomplete. I'm telling you Major League Baseball has been asking for players that is incomplete, that are incomplete because all they want are guys with skills, guy with guys with physical, skill sets, and that's it. I was looking at a publication today, Baseball America. They were talking about a, a prospect in the minor leagues, and it says this guy is one of the toolsiest prospects in the minor leagues. That's all anyone cares about now. They, so Cora says the instincts are gone. Well, the instincts are gone because the game no longer values them. The major league game no longer values them, and that to me is the problem. Right? Baseball has shown if you can throw hard, if you can run fast, if you can hit it far, then we're going to sign you. And all the other stuff be damned. We will teach you the other stuff. It's not the other way around. I love Alex Cora. I think he's very, very smart. And he, he has forgotten more about baseball than I know. That is very true. But this one, I think he's wrong on. Youth baseball is just a byproduct here of what we're seeing at the major leagues, right? Major League Baseball decides all we care about is traits. So then what happens? Youth facilities, youth coaches decide, we'll just find we'll, we'll just develop those traits. If that's all that matters, we'll develop those traits. And then those players filter back up the system and they get to the majors and they don't know how to t- how to go first to third. They don't know how to recognize a ball in the dirt, so they can take second. They don't know how to get a good lead to score from second on a base hit to center field. That's a major league problem. And I did talk a lot of nuts and bolts with Tom Karen earlier today, but I did ask him about this topic, and he agrees with me. Oh, I think I
1: think you're right, and I think you know I think the major league steps away. So when when guys get paid for, for forty home runs and two hundred and twenty strikeouts uh you know that that tells you where the game has been over the last 10 15 20 years uh speed hasn't mattered first to third hasn't mattered productive outs don't matter uh and that eventually goes down to the youth level which then you know infiltrates its way back up to the
2: major league right so it's a it's
0: a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy i mean baseball high level baseball and i don't mean this this is not the case in vermont for the most part right in Vermont, you do not have players that are going on to play Major League Baseball. Owen Kellington, who what could happen to, is an exception. So I think in Vermont, these guys don't go to the places where they're looking for these trades. So guys do learn how to play baseball in the state of Vermont. Most high schoolers learn how to play baseball because most high schoolers are not Major League caliber players. But when we're talking about high-level youth baseball, high-level travel baseball— it is all about the showcase circuit, the showcase tournament, and the prospect camp. And at those places, the sole goal is to get guys drafted. Well, if the if, if what Major League Baseball looks for is your ability to throw 98, then damn well, we're going to show you guys that throw 98. If Major League Baseball is looking for a guy that can run in a straight line at 6'3", then that's what we're going to show you. First to third isn't going to matter. If baseball is looking for a guy who can hit the ball 400 feet, then that's what we're going to show you. This is this is a major league problem. Cora blames the youth circuit. I blame the majors. The majors decided what they wanted, and the youth circuit has now taken that and says, okay, this is the model, and this is what we're going to do. Major League Baseball is now getting players that have been bred under this system and complaining about it Do not complain about the system because you're the ones who created the system. You are the ones who created the system. Marco over in Warren says, it's the classic feedback loop. I think this starts, or do you think this starts changing with the new rule changes? Sure, some teams will start prioritizing contact and situational stuff more, have success, and others will follow. The Guardians seem to be good at this stuff. Wonder if they'll pick up more wins this year with no shifts. You know, what I think is going to happen is I think we're kind of stuck in this for a little while, right? It's going to take time to break baseball of this habit. What I think is happening is this. Look, there's a place in Essex Junction, a baseball-specific facility called the Strike Zone. And I worked there for a little bit, and I really like that place. I like the people who run it. But what they have done is they have created a facility that teaches – a lot of the stuff that Major League Baseball is teaching, right? Working on your spin rate as a pitcher, working on your exit velocity as a hitter. They so places are popping up that are teaching these trait, this, this trait skill set baseball. Right? We're not going to break that. This strike zone, and I want it to exist. It's going to exist for a long time. And Major League Baseball values that stuff. As we get over the course of the next couple of years, then I do think if the rule changes prove healthy, that a guy who, if if somebody starts stealing 80 bases, then somewhere in the youth system, how to steal a base is going to become important again. But it's going to take years. It took years to get us to this point. It's going to take years to get us back to a point of what baseball looked like in the 80s or the 70s. Right. If Major League Baseball, if we get to a point this year where the slap-hitting infielder is all of a sudden valuable again, you will see those guys become more of a premium again, but it's going to take some time. So yes, I do think some of what baseball has done will be undone, but it is not going to happen overnight. Texter says this is the AAU-ification of baseball. AAU and basketball have their own issues, and it's ironic you say that because I think basketball has dealt with some of this as well. I was listening to uh, Jamal Crawford the other day, the old point guard, right? Played with a bunch of teams, Knicks, Bulls, Clippers, Atlanta, kind of the most prominent teams. He said youth basketball is being killed by what he called highlight culture. Steve Kerr said that AAU is killing youth basketball, but Crawford said highlight culture. And that's a problem, too, that the NBA has created, isn't it not? I mean, at some point, the NBA leaned into flashy, right? The NBA leaned into flashy at some point. And I don't know when that is, but, you know, I know the the David Stern made it a show, right? Laker girls, all that kind of stuff. Like The NBA became a show. Probably late 80s, early 90s with the Lakers. And then everywhere else, late 90s, early 2000s. That's what I would have to imagine. The NBA leaned into posh, leaned into flash. And that, at some point, has infiltrated its way down to the youth circuit. That's probably part of what we're seeing now, right? These guys were obviously great players. But the NBA would rather you see Allen Iverson than see Tim Duncan. The NBA would rather you see Shaq's dunks than Hakeem Olajuwon's footwork. The NBA would rather you see Steph Curry shoot from distance than Kawhi Leonard hit a mid-range jump shot. So, the highlightification of the NBA, that is part of their problem, part of basketball's problem, and the NBA created that too. The NBA knew that Making highlights would increase viewers, increase eyeballs, and make them more money. But it hasn't helped overall basketball. Right? There's nothing sexy about a Tim Duncan highlight when you've got Kobe doing a 360 windmill, when you've got Shaq, when you've got uh, Jordan. You know, so these leagues, I think a lot of times, they create their own problems. Right? The NBA decided... The NBA decided the three-point shot was a more efficient shot. So what do you have now? You have a bunch of youth players that are only shooting threes. And we get to the NBA, and guys can't do anything but dunk or shoot because that's all they've been told they need to do. These leagues create their own problems, right? These leagues create their own problems. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Funny, for years people have called for Major League Baseball to be more like the NBA. It is tough. Right? Here's what's here's what and that's a fascinating point. We could do years on this, probably, or days on this, I should say. Major League Baseball would benefit overall from having an NBA type mindset. NBA puts out the highlights, NBA looks fun. NBA is star-driven, the NBA leans into that. Major League Baseball, baseball in general, would likely become more popular if it did that. Right? If Major League Baseball marketed Otani and marketed Trout and marketed Judge and Chicks dig the long ball and all that stuff, if Major League Baseball did that, baseball would be more popular. But that said, we're getting to a point where the game is it as well played? Because baseball has become strikeouts are okay. Stealing bases doesn't matter. The shift has taken out some of the overall athleticism. Why was Griffey so fun? Right? Griffey was everybody's favorite player in the 90s. Why? Griffey was excellent. He could hit for power, he could hit for average. He didn't strike out. He covered a ton of ground. He was a great athlete. He made great plays. And Oh, by the way, he wore his hat backwards, and he was really, really cool. You don't get to see a lot of that stuff in baseball anymore. Guys don't hit for average. Guys strike out all the time. And because of the shift, guys haven't been able to show off their athleticism. So baseball would benefit from an NBA-style thing, but then the game would be played poorly, kind of like how basketball is played on its own. It's the Brady Farkas. That Cora comment really... Got me going. I thought that was fascinating, the chicken or the egg. 802-585-3026. Little update from Brent Curtis on the high school basketball game here. Uh, They're going to start right around 645. So they're going to start a little bit early, it sounds like, today for the girls' game between Middlebury and and the Crimson Tide of Spaulding. So what we'll do is we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back. Jason Tatum, how much pressure is he under to deliver a title for the Boston Celtics? We'll talk about that next here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Yeah, they are going to start that high school basketball game a little early today in presumption to beat the weather. That's just me speculating. Brent Curtis will have more, but we are going to give him the uh, keys to the kingdom here right at 645, so we'll be out of here in about 15 minutes. I do want to get to this, and I asked the question, 802-585-3026. How much pressure is Celtics forward Jason Tatum under? to win a title this year and i was watching espn earlier today and Stephen a smith said that jason tatum has the third most pressure of any player in the league to deliver a title and that shocked me and i'll be honest maybe this is just ignorance is bliss kind of thing because jason tatum is so young i haven't put the pressure meter on him yet so i hadn't really been thinking about it you know Tatum's been in the league now for five or six years, but because he's so young, I, I just haven't given him the same kind of pressure level, level that other athletes get. And that was naive of me. The more I thought about it, you know, of course, Jason Tatum has pressure under him. The question really is how much. It's not, does he have pressure? He does. The question is how much. Now, the Celtics, number one, he plays for the Celtics. So that's going to deliver some pressure. Number two, he's the best player on the Celtics. Number three, they got to the finals a year ago. Number four, they're the best team in the NBA right now. And number five, they've got Jalen Brown and him together at this point. There's no guarantee that that relationship lasts beyond the next year or so because Tatum can hit free agency or uh, Brown can hit free agency again here soon. So this team might not be together forever. This duo might not be together forever. I've assumed they're a package deal, but we know in the NBA, nothing is ever a package deal. So there is pressure on Jason Tatum. The question is how much, 802-585-3026. I asked Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio about this about a half an hour ago.
1: Well, there's always going to be pressure when you're part of that franchise, number one. Number two, when you have the pedigree and the equity that Jason Tatum has been able to build up, and also going back to last year where they had a 2-1 series lead against the Golden State Warriors, and couldn't finish the job. And I think a lot of people don't give enough credit to Golden State, what they were able to do, instead of what the Boston Celtics did not do, and that Golden State had a lot to do with it. So there's going to be an enormous amount of pressure on him. For my money, I think the guy that has the most pressure is going to be Nicole Jokic.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm with Freddie. There's a lot of guys with pressure. You know I'm not into rankings. I'm not trying to cop out of this. Tatum has pressure. But I can think of other guys who I think have, have more, right? LeBron's got more pressure. He's already won four titles, yes, but anytime you are chasing Jordan in anything, you're going to have pressure. LeBron's also near the end of his rope. He's still excellent, but he's near the end of his rope, and he might miss the playoffs entirely. So I think LeBron has a lot of pressure. Giannis has already won a title, so he's kind of good as far as I'm concerned, but you get into a different class when you win two. So yeah, there's going to be pressure on him. Jokic is a back-to-back MVP, has never gotten to the finals. He might win a third MVP this year. He's got pressure. Kawhi Leonard has pressure, no doubt, right? He hasn't played. I feel like Kawhi Leonard has barely played in the last two and a half years. Kevin Durant going to the Suns has pressure. Chris Paul being with the Suns, he's never won a title. This is his last best chance to win a title. Uh, Texter says Paul George kind of coupled in with Kawhi Leonard there. Uh... I think, I think Kyrie has pressure. Maybe not to win a title, but down the stretch to be a good citizen so he can go get that long-term multi-year deal he wants. I think Luka has some pressure, right? Luka we've anointed as the next great superstar. I think a lot of people think Luka is better than Tatum. So if he is the best young player in the NBA, I think he comes with some pressure. So Tatum's got it, no doubt, but is he... Have the third most amount of pressure in the league? Uh, I don't necessarily buy that. I think I can. Joel Embiid, another great player who hasn't even been to a finals, a guy who is an MVP, ta- an MVP talent. I, I think there's a lot of guys with pressure in the league, and I think it's one of the things that's made this NBA year pretty enjoyable, right? This team has, this league has a lot of parity right now. A lot of teams can win it all a lot of teams can get to the finals i i like this some people like when there's a dominant team you know a 72 and 10 warriors team or you know 73 and 9 whatever like that's great but i also like this the open nature of the league and i think every once in a while it's fun to have a season like this where okay new orleans is good for a while then zion gets hurt now we've got the kings who are in third place in the western conference and so they haven't been relevant in forever. You look in the east and it's Cleveland. It's my Donovan Mitchell's got pressure, right? He forces his way out of Utah and ends up now in Cleveland in the shadow of what LeBron did there, getting the team relevant for the first time since LeBron left. I think there's pressure in a lot of places in the NBA. Texter says going back to our previous conversation. Last segment, we're talking about youth sports culture. Texter says No wonder many of the most interesting NBA players right now grew up abroad and outside of the AAU circuit. I haven't thought critically about it enough to know if it's the same in Major League Baseball, but I would guess it is. I will address the second point of that first, or uh, second, but uh, there is something to be said for that, right? The great foreign-born players in the NBA, they were not subjected to AAU they did grow up in more team centered academies or in you know playing pro basketball as part of a team at a younger age. I read a fascinating story yesterday in the Ringer about the amount of basketball players from Eastern Europe like Slovenia, Bosnia, Serbia, Montenegro, Herzegovina, all that. And there's a lot of ones that I'm not going to remember here but you know Bogdan Bogdanovic uh Bogdan Bogdanovich and Luka and uh, Nurkic from the Blazers. Um, I mean, a bunch more, right? And just about how they grew up playing this team-oriented basketball in Eastern Europe and how good previous generations of Eastern European basketball was and how that filtered down to them. There is something to be said for that, right? They don't have the AAU culture culture. Over in, over in Europe. They have other things, I'm sure, that are issues. Club culture. But guys do grow up learning fundamentals, playing as part of a team, learning how to do everything. Jokic is in that group, too. The other part of that text is, I haven't thought critically enough about it to know if it's the same in Major League Baseball, but I guess it is. I don't think it's the same. I think the issues in Major League Baseball extend into other countries as well. And what I mean is this. Major League Baseball has identified, as I said, that traits are all that matters to them. So kids in the U.S. go to showcases and go to tournaments or go to showcases and go to camps, and they are taught that these traits matter. So they're not learning the game as much. They're learning that traits matter, and they're working on those. In Latin America... It's the exact same. These kids are plucked at, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, and they are signed and they are taken to developmental camps and academies where they are working on what? On these traits. So you get players from both the U.S. and from Latin America that are all in this system of just working on skill set rather than instinct and rather than the game. It happens here, and it happens there. The one place I would say it doesn't happen is in Japan. Japan, because these players have been playing youth baseball in Japan, team baseball in Japan, and they've been pros in Japan for a number of years, Japanese baseball is very, very fundamentally oriented. It is less about raw power, right? The Japanese player, not all of them throw 98 miles an hour. Some of them do. Your Dice K's and your Yu Darvish's and your Kode Senga's who we're going to see this year for the Mets. Some of them do. And not all Japanese players can hit 45 home runs. We haven't seen that yet here in the U.S. So when you get a Japanese player that comes over, they are often very, very fundamentally based, right? Ichiro. Now, he's a Hall of Famer, but Ichiro could throw. He could run. He could hit for average. He could hit for power when he wanted to. Ichiro is a five-tool player. You look at uh, what do we hope from Yoshida this year with the Red Sox. We're hoping he can hit 20 home runs, has a great eye, can hit the ball all over the yard, hit 320, and have a 400 on base percentage. An all-around offensive player, not a one-dimensional offensive player. So I think the Japanese players come over more polished, more fundamental. But here in the U.S. and in Latin America – it's absolutely about developing traits rather than developing the game, rather than developing instinct. So the texter's assertion that maybe foreign players are better than American players, that that I don't buy in baseball. In basketball right now, it is certainly a thing where foreign players have more kind of a, of a fundamental base than the American players are, and they also have a more team-oriented attitude than some American players do because they haven't been subject to AAU. That, I I do believe, is true. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right. Um, we are going to kick it over to high school basketball here momentarily, so I did want to wrap up on this. UVM men's basketball team, can wrap up the America East today with a win at B- against Binghamton. That game's at Patrick Gym in about 25 minutes. I'll be able to listen to it on the way home and then watch the rest of it when I get there as I enjoy the snow coming down at some point tonight. So have some fun with that. Catamount's taking on Binghamton. Binghamton is better than they've been in years past, but you know they are they are in the top half of the league, but they are not a match for UVM, especially not at home. UVM should win this game. What do I want to see out of this game? I want to see UVM get back to having a dominant start. I thought that NJIT played great. They earned what they got on Saturday night taking UVM to overtime. I want to see UVM come out and put Binghamton away early, right? I, it's the same thing I called for against NJIT. It didn't happen. I want to see it today. You've now played a game that is close. Your focus level is higher. You are on higher alert. Now you know you're you're going for the number one seed officially, Get out and get up 7-1 and eleven three and 15-6 to and 21-8 to and roll from there. Sullivan, Penn, Duncan, I want all of them to carry this team. Deloney off the bench. We know the formula for UVM. Now it is just about truly executing it. That's it. It is about executing the formula at this point. The Catamounts, when we come in tomorrow, should be the America East regular season champions, should have the number one seed in their hand and should be ready to roll again inside the conference tournament. For what it's worth, the UVM women, I want to see them come out and play well again today too. Every time they play, they're playing with more pressure on them. We know that. They're trying to do something they haven't done in a long time and that this group and this coaching staff has never done, and that's finished top two in the league. And every time they play, and they've got this 12-game winning streak now kind of that they're holding on to, every time they play, they're being gunned for and... They're being hunted, and there comes there is pressure that comes with that. And I think this UVM team has responded really well to this point, and hopefully they continue to respond, and they can get a win today too. They're 12-2. and They're a half game behind Albany in the conference. Can they get to 13-2 and with one conference game to play? We'll see what happens. But I'm an underback, Delaney Richardson, Anna Olsen, Catherine Gil. We, we know that's where this team relies on. They rely on those four starters to get the job done. High school basketball, Brent Curtis on the call. He is standing by courtside for uh, Division II girls' play down between Middlebury and Spaulding. Thanks to Freddie Coleman. Thanks to Tom Karen. Those interviews are available at uh, the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Buster Olney will, will be with us tomorrow. We'll react to a lot of baseball. And, oh, by the way, this breaking news, Matt Patricia has interviewed for the Broncos' vacant defensive coordinator job. So, okay. Patriots, Matt Patricia. Interviewing with the Denver Broncos. Matt Patricia and Rex Ryan have both interviewed for that job. All right. See what happens there. Uh, Doug Kite, our guy from... uh, Used to be at Ness and Patriots Insider says this would be a good fit for Patricia because he wouldn't have to do double duty like he did this past year. We'll see what happens. We'll have more on that tomorrow as well. High school basketball next, playoff time here on DEV.